Welcome to Marketing Tales with Chris Raposo, a podcast created to spotlight and highlight marketers, tell their stories, and share their knowledge with those interested in all things marketing. If you're interested in more than just the cut and dry strategies and tactics and want to learn more about the human side of his guests and how they got to where they are today, then this show is for you. So I read that you went from a thousand followers to 10,000 followers in five months. I'm, I know it's hard work and consistency, right? But how did you go about it? First, there's just got to be a lot of hard work. I was posting two to three times a day for five months. Wow. And I was probably spending three to four hours on LinkedIn every single day, engaging with everybody. I was engaging in all the other conversations. And like I say, like if you showed up at a new city, and just somehow found out where all the different social gatherings were and you were showing up to a hundred every week and not just showing up and playing shy, but showing up and working the room and shaking hands, laughing, listening to people and making friends. And you were doing that every week for 30 days, guaranteed you're going to have a lot of friends because you're going to start bumping into the same people at different parties, right? Right. You're going to start building relationships. Why? Because you're showing up and making friends over and over and over. It won't be long before the whole city knows your name. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Tales Show with Chris Raposa. Today, my guest is Dan Sanchez. Um, welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me on. All right, awesome, man. I've been following you on, on LinkedIn quite a bit. And I love your your backdrop and the stuff you do as a content creator, so I'm really thrilled to have you on, on the show today. Um, <clears throat> so doing a little bit of research on you. You know, as someone with a degree in marketing management and an MBA, when did you know that you wanted to get into marketing? And since this is a marketing show, what do you love about marketing? Dang, it was a slow and steady process. I got my degrees later after I was already well into marketing. I was already working as a marketing director. And then I went back to school because I had the itch to get the degree, fill out, not learn more about marketing, but actually learn about all the other stuff that impacts marketing, finance, accounting, project management, all that stuff. That's why I went back to school and it was fantastic. Um, but I got into it because honestly, most people don't get into marketing. They don't, no, no one graduates from high school being like, I'm going to be a marketer. Yeah. What happens is you have a dream to go into something else. For me, it was like art. And the closest thing I could find to employment around art was graphic design. So I started there, <laughs> mm-hmm. became a graphic designer that led to web design, which led to social media marketing, which led to uh, all kinds of email and text message marketing. And all of a sudden I was doing all the digital stuff. I started taking on paid media. And before you know it, I was doing all the marketing stuff. And I discovered that I loved marketing because it was equally creative as well as left brain data analytics, uh, looking at conversion rate optimization and all that kind of stuff. And I loved both of all of it. And I found that there was one, always a need for good marketing in any kind of company, organization, nonprofit I've ever worked for. And I'm, I like to take responsibility for where the needs are. And this always seemed like there was more of a need for better marketing. Absolutely. Um, and I actually just found it to be fantastic. So I got into marketing through that route. It's not a super common route, but not there's other people that get into it from the art and design route too. So, Sure, sure. Well, kudos to you for going back to school at a later age. I did the same thing. I graduated at the age of 39 from the University of Florida. And I just... um you know, I wanted that degree and it wasn't communications because I was stuck in a different field. I wasn't a paralegal and I didn't like to do that anymore. 
So I started going to school and, uh, you know, I loved storytelling, loved writing. And that's how I fell into marketing. Um, that's how my story went, but yeah, I love it. And I love your content. And I always like to have content creators on the show. Um, a little bit more research on you. You're a busy guy and you're currently the director of inbound marketing at element 451. And you're also the podcast host of attention podcasts. Can you tell us a little bit about both of these, uh, companies and, initiatives. Absolutely. I fell in love with podcasting working for Sweetfish. It's a large B2B podcasting agency. So naturally I started my own podcast, the attention podcast, which is all things audience growth, which is kind of what I'm becoming known for is around how to grow an audience, especially for a company, a B2B, B2B brand is, is become my specialty. I was director of audience growth for them for three years. Um, and an executive producer. But now I've ventured off into joining one of uh, a SaaS company, a B2B SaaS company, Element 451, servicing uh, colleges in the higher ed space. It's kind of a CRM and marketing automation platform. Uh, it's kind of like the HubSpot of higher ed, I like to call it. So oh. marketers get that. Okay. Um, and I did it because I fell so in love with the tactics and the strategy we were doing using for Sweetfish for our clients, but I find I could only consult them so much. I can only get them so far. And I wanted to go all in on one brand and execute it all the way through. So I left Sweetfish as awesome as they were and found a company that was looking for that exact thing to found a perfect match and Element 451 wants to accomplish the same thing. So I'm exact, excited to take all the sweetness I learned about podcasting, how to grow an audience with Sweetfish and go all in on one brand. That's going to be Element 451. Awesome. Awesome. Funny enough, I connected with uh, your colleague, uh, Mallory, yesterday. We'll see. She's uh, awesome. also LM451 because I heard her talk on a podcast with Jamie Hunt, uh, Confessions of a Higher Ed Marketer, yes. you know, about JetGPT. Yep. So so that was that was a coincidence yesterday. But yeah, audience growth teacher, um, you have another initiative called Sanchez, where you're the audience growth teacher and you just briefly touched on that as a SaaS marketer, I'm especially intrigued in uh, growing my audience. So tell us a little bit about Dan, Dan Chess and why'd you start that on the side? Yeah, it's fun. Dan Chess is a nickname my friends gave me. And so the thing that I'm becoming known for is this name, which started as a hashtag for me on LinkedIn. It was literally just a personal hashtag I was throwing at the end of all my posts. Mm -hmm. And then even though it was a nickname, my friends called me, like I'd started to build a personal brand around the name Danchez, uh, which is fantastic. So I'm like, well, people already call me Danchez. So, and if you can call me Dan Sanchez, my friends call me Danchez. Let's, so let's be friends. That's kind of what I'm here on social media for anyway on LinkedIn is to build real relationships with people and build lots of friends, which in my opinion is the best way to grow an audience, especially in the beginning, especially when you don't have an owned media audience or lots of money to pay for one. Um, you kind of have to go one by one. That's the real secret to audience growth is it's the kind of the same way you make friends. And it actually is just making friends. <laughs> Go and be helpful to lots of people. Help mm -hmm. them succeed. And either through being practical and helping them accomplish something or entertaining them. Either way or doing a little bit of both uh, works really well. So Danchez is just my is just my name. It's my own little personal brand, my own little corner of the web. You can go to danchez.com or just connect with me on LinkedIn and find hashtag Danchez and you'll start to see all my posts and my content. I love that. I love that. And you got to be authentic, you know, when you're trying to make those friends. Uh, you don't want to see Absolutely. like hey, this guy has a hundred thousand followers. Let me take advantage of this guy so I can get in front of his um, you know, crowd. That doesn't that doesn't work. People see right through that. You know, in your opinion, um 
as a SaaS marketer, what are the key elements of a successful social media SaaS marketing strategy since we're on the topic of LinkedIn? Yeah, gosh, there's so many ways to win. There's a lot of different ways to do this. Mm -hmm. The way we developed at Sweetfish was through what we call an evangelist program. Mm -hmm. Um, There's ways to win with your company page. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> I found that it was easier to engage, incorporate a bunch of different uh, subject matter experts, or even just people that were outspoken in your company, and then like rally around even just a few core profiles and getting them to be consistent on LinkedIn because people generally like to interact with personal brands more than they like to do brands because there's more of a personality there. There's more of a framework. You can have common ground. Like how do I, like as successful as Red Bull is on YouTube and all their different videos, like how do you have a conversation with Red Bull? You Mm. could probably have a little bit of a back and forth, but it's hard to build a relationship with a brand. And they're super successful. Red Bull's killed it on social, but it's harder to build that one-to-one relationship, which in B2B land is all the makes all the difference. If you're trying to build relationships with your ideal buyers, you can build a lot of trust that way. And it's easy to do on social as people are having conversations there. So rally around a few core accounts. And then what we did at Sweetfish was we kind of had James, the CEO, myself, the main head of sales, were kind of like the three that were going at it a lot. And we would springboard each other on LinkedIn by commenting on each other's posts. So if I engaged with someone else, mm-hmm. like one other key account, Right. And they engaged with me. Chances are because I'm engaging with my buddies over at Sweetfish, they're going to start seeing James and Logan too, because LinkedIn looks for relational data in order to optimize the algorithm. So if you're, in, if I'm engaging with all my Sweetfish peeps um, and then they connect with me and then they see James post about something even unrelated to Sweetfish, maybe he talks about his hate for Pepsi, right? <laughs> He'd rather walk out of a restaurant than drink a, can of Pepsi, right? He's literally hates it that much. And they, they also hate Pepsi. Like they're going to connect with James on a personal level. And then, Oh, all of a sudden I'm starting to see Sweetfish all over the place, you know, and then it starts to pull them into all things Sweetfish because they're now engaging with multiple people on the team. Yeah. It's cool as you can expand out that program and start inviting other people into posting about it. And they don't even have to post about the company. They could literally post about something they're passionate about or their personal life. And because you know, people will find common ground with that. Like you can have an employee posting about baking and because one of your ideal buyers is into baking, they connect with that person. And then all of a sudden, because they're interacting with all the other employees, they start to see posts from me on podcasting. It happened. It happened all the time. So that's kind of how we approached LinkedIn in order to build a brand on social media um, for Sweetfish. And it's actually something I'm looking at starting up at Element 451 soon too. Smart, very smart. Yeah, I had I had Nick Bennett on my show a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the evangelism and how to be on on um you know building that connection and the connection economy on LinkedIn. And his boss actually encouraged him to yep. start writing about a certain topic that he was interested in, and that's how he grew his following. And I grew yep. my following in ways where I just bring relevant content to people like Justin Welsh. I follow him, um, and then people read my comment and they say, Hey, we're, we seem like-minded. Let's connect and learn from each other. Yep. Uh, so I've, yep. I've learned it's a good, good way to do it too. Um, that is a good way. Very impressive though. I read that you went from a thousand um, followers to 10,000 followers in five months. Um, I'm, I know it's hard work and consistency, right? But how did you go about it? a number of different things. I had a good teacher. James was already well-established on LinkedIn. And that gave me, there are some things that I, some things I worked really hard for 
there were some tiny aspects on the market that were for me. And then I had an unfair advantage of being friends with James. So let me talk about the things I had control over and the things that I had no control over that it just was ended up being a really good timing thing because I think it paints a better picture of why, why that's actually happened, why that, why I was able to grow so much so fast. Mm. Um, first there's just gotta be a lot of hard work. I was posting two to three times a day for five months wow. and I was probably spending three to four hours on LinkedIn every single day engaging with everybody. I was engaging in all the other conversations. And like I say, like if you showed up at a new city and just somehow found out where all the different social gatherings were and you were showing up to a hundred every week and not just showing up and playing shy, but showing up and working the room and shaking hands, laughing, listening to people and making friends. And you were doing that every week for 30 days, guaranteed you're going to have a lot of friends because you're going to start bumping into the same people at different parties, right? You're going to start being like, oh, I didn't know you came here too, right? You're going to start building relationships. Why? Because you're showing up and making friends over and over and over. It won't be long before the whole city knows your name. It's the same thing on LinkedIn, except instead of showing up to parties, you're showing up in the comments and the posts and you're engaging with those people there, with the people that are frequenting uh, uh, the, the posts. Um, so if you're showing up to all the conversations and showing up to all the parties, adding good insights, adding great, asking great questions. You don't even have to, you could be a student in a college and do this and just show up and ask questions and then try this stuff and comment back about what you learned. Um, it doesn't take a lot. So I was just showing up to all the parties and I was also posting myself and engaging with my own little party going on in the comments. So it's just hard work. So that's what I had going for me. Anybody can do that yeah. and it'll work for everybody. Some uh, An unfair advantage I had in timing was that I started April, 2020. Mm. Remember mm. what was going on in April, 2020, everybody's getting laid off. What happens when everybody gets laid off? They hit LinkedIn hard. Mm. A lot of people are just going to LinkedIn to check on jobs and update their resume, but they're still consuming a lot of information without actually posting. So consumption on LinkedIn went real high. My mm. posts were hitting harder and going farther than they normally would if I were posting now. But if the recession continues to go on, you're going to see LinkedIn start to get more traction and more eyeballs on it. So be attention now because that timing thing could be coming back around. It just it happened to be really hard, really fast because lots of people got laid off all at once. So LinkedIn went through a huge, like there was just a lot of attention for a couple of months on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a timing thing that happened to work really well for LinkedIn. So yeah. I, and I didn't even know it at the time. It wasn't until retrospect, I figured that out. Yeah. And then the other, un, the one unfair advantage I had that wasn't a timing thing that you can try to reverse engineer is... <clears throat> building a good relationship with someone who has a following on the platform. Mm -hmm. On LinkedIn, if somebody comments on your post who has a following, it's almost like they tap the share button. <laughs> it doesn't work like that on Twitter. It doesn't work like that on Facebook. Just because someone comments on your post on fake Facebook doesn't mean your post goes out to all their friends. But on LinkedIn, it freaking does. You don't even, I don't even care if people taps the, sh the share button. Screw that. Like tap the comment button. Yeah. Say yeah. something because then it goes out to a lot of their fan base. Um, so I had James who had, who had the following that I had now, wow. like showing up and commenting on mine, which gave me an unfair advantage to get out in front of all his crowd yes. early on. And he was commenting consistently on every post. And now he comments on some, mm -hmm. um, I also, you can do this though, by building relationships with, with people who reward engagement. There's a few big creators out there who, if you comment on their post consistently, they will show up once in a while and post and comment on yours. Mm. Um, one of those people for me was Austin Belsack. 
Okay. Um, he has a massive following, like one of the largest engaged LinkedIn crowds I've seen. He's got like a million plus oh followers on LinkedIn. Um, and I was showing up on his post all the time being, and I was often like the first comment cause I knew when he posted, mm -hmm. um, and I left huge comments. So like, of course I'm helping him out by leaving the substantial stuff for people to engage with. Yeah. And I was doing it consistently. Um, so he was showing up every once in a while, but I did this with quite a few larger creators. So every once in a while they'd bounce and it's, it's almost like a, a like you ever jump on a trampoline <laughs> and you have something hit it right before you hit it. Yeah. You know, so what happens when you have a, especially a big person, mm -hmm. right? Somebody who weighs way more and they hit it right before you hit it. What happened? It launches you. It's yeah. the same thing, but with LinkedIn. So if you have someone to go in, go in it on it with them, yeah. this is the reason why engagement groups work too, but that's kind of a, people hate engagement groups on LinkedIn. So I don't even talk about it anymore, okay. but setting up temporary engagement groups also helps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, that's yeah. a taboo topic. Yeah. I've, I've seen never done some. One. I've seen I some have. creators who, who are in engagement groups and it's like all over the place, right? Their audience isn't like the succinct audience that they need to grow their business, just all sorts of random people that don't really help their audience. There's a lot of shades of gray with mm -hmm. engagement groups. There yeah. is a shade of gray that's less, it's, it's, it's pretty clean, but it is, it, I mean, it's marketing. All marketers know we play in the shades of gray. Mm -hmm. The question is, is how, how, how much do you want to like hack the system in yeah. order to do it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But nobody, no, no marketer is in the white. Yeah, that's true. Anybody who pretends they are, I'm like, <laughs> bull crap. There's something you're doing that's somewhat manipulative or something gaming the algorithm in some way. Even if you're doing it the way they, the company wants you to do it, you're still trying to get what you want. It all comes down to like, like the reason why you serve so many people, because you know, it'll come back to you. But mm -hmm. is it wrong to go and serve a bunch of people then? No. Mm -hmm. Like even take it back to like, I I live a good life because I want to get into heaven. Yeah. Is yeah. my good, is the goodness I'm doing insincere because I want to go into heaven? No, it's not a bad thing to want to get into heaven. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, not exactly. that heaven works that way. I'm not speaking, but you know what I'm saying, right? I know exactly. <laughs> I'm not, what I'm not that is, you know, I don't want to throw out bad doctrine either or whatever. So <laughs> all my Christian peeps out there, you, that's not how it works, but. <laughs> so um, anyways, let's go back to audience growth. Um, you, you first have to, especially in marketing, you have to understand your audience in order to speak to them and to their needs and to their desires and their wants. Um, how important is understanding your target audience and building a SaaS marketing audience on social media? And can you share some tips for getting to know your ideal customers how important is it on social media you could probably get away without doing it but you can't get away without getting to know your audience mm -hmm. i just think it's a wasted opportunity if you don't do it on social because they're hanging out on social and mm -hmm. are having the conversations and it's public for you to join in the conversations so why not walk up to them it's like going to an event with your ideal buyers hanging out not actually going and sitting at that table instead you're sitting at a different table by yourself yeah. It just seems like a waste. True. You're like, you're probably already there spending some time. You might as well stop by the conversations and get in, get involved in them. It just makes sense. Ultimately, you can't be a good marketer without talking to the buyers, without talking to the customers. If you don't talk to them, and at the very least, like listen to sales calls where they're talking, like, how do you know what to write? Everything's a guess. The only way you're going to know and get and have a better discernment of what to write for them what content to make, how to even promote your product to them is to know what they care about, to know how they think, to know what are their concerns, what are their wins, 
what their life is like. And I don't know how to do that without actually engaging in conversations with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I've, I've heard that time and time again, to sit with sales team, customer success, just to figure out the beat on what's going on uh, with your target audience. Um, I consider you an influencer with the following you have and with the engagement that you have. Um, what role does influencer marketing play in building a SaaS marketing audience? And in today's creator economy, um, what do you think companies should do? Should they hire creators um, from the outside or should they, like your your company did um, at Sweetfish, encourage their employees to become content creators on LinkedIn and YouTube? I think both work incredibly well, especially when you pull them together. Mm-hmm. Because again, especially if it's on LinkedIn, because LinkedIn has that weird comment game going on. Remember the trampoline thing? If mm-hmm. you can hire the the big kid to come and bounce you up, and then have everybody else take advantage of that, that works out really well. You yeah. could do it the other way. It just takes longer. But if you can get some distribution by hiring someone who has that distribution, which is exactly what Element 451 did with me, um, you better believe our evangelist program is going to be able to take off a lot faster because if I'm in commenting on every one of uh, Mallory Wilsey's posts and Artis's posts, our CEO, then it's going to go a lot faster um, especially if we start engaging consistently more with our buyers, uh, higher ed marketers on there. So it's going to okay. happen. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, since you've been in a game, a LinkedIn game, uh, since you said April, 2020, uh, really hitting it hard. What is one important lesson that you've learned during your time since then? One important lesson that you could share with the audience on becoming a better creator on LinkedIn. Only one? Dude. <laughs> you did great. Like, which, you what's did the great. best one that if you're starting from scratch and don't have any, that makes the biggest difference? In my opinion, the most underrated one that's the easiest one that actually can fuel a lot of everything else is like literally just showing up in other people's comments and trying to give your best two cents in them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about that that will teach you what to write for your post. Oftentimes, if I don't know what to post, which happens to a lot of people, especially in the beginning, I just go surfing through the feed and I try to leave as many comments as possible. Generally within three to five comments, I've left a comment that I feel pretty passionately about and it's a longer one, right? I'm Uh like, it only takes a few more steps to reverse engineer this and do a post. And I know it's going to be probably relevant because there's already a big conversation going on around this topic and this is my spicy two cents on it now. So if anything on LinkedIn, just start getting involved in the conversation Um, It's already priming the algorithm for everybody who's engaging with you in those conversations for those people to then see your next post. So start engaging in the conversation. And then as you start to notice your post starting to become more articulate and you have a good point of view and people are like, oh, I love this, then turn those into posts. So if you're afraid to start posting, get started in the commenting, build up your comment game, and then start posting. But I think that's probably the most underrated thing people do. A lot of CEOs want to outsource their LinkedIn game. I'm like, you can't because you have to be in the comments. You can't do well on LinkedIn without comments unless you have a substantial following somewhere else. Mm. Like the Hermoses, Alex Hermosi and Leila Hermosi have a pretty strong LinkedIn game that somebody else is writing their content and posting it for them based on other videos they've made. And Uh it's working. Why? Because they're freaking killing it over on YouTube and they've built a massive amount of affinity for their content. So when people show up on LinkedIn to comment, they don't even have to engage with it because it's working so well. Gary Vee does the same thing. He doesn't engage in his comments nearly as much anymore because, well, he's already built a a strong amount of affinity somewhere else. 
If yeah. you're starting from scratch on LinkedIn, you don't have that. You're a good post and no one knows who you are. So mm-hmm. start to get involved in the parties and start to go and shake hands and get to know people and have good conversations. And then when you post, people will know you. Perfect. Show up in the comments, everybody. Okay. Uh, as we close the episode, what are two books you recommend anybody should read about marketing? And, and if not books, either uh, maybe a podcast or YouTube channel to follow. My two favorite books on marketing are books that hardly any marketers ever heard of, except mm. for the few that read as many marketing books as I do. Um, this first one's expensive and is one of the least read marketing books, but it's honestly, it made a massive difference in my career. I look back on it all the time mm-hmm. and it might just be because of my personality. <laughs> it might just be, I don't know. Um, I find most marketers have a critical book that they read early in their career that's usually around copywriting, but it gave them a framework on how to sell to clients. For that book, for me, it was a book called Marketer is Philosopher by Flint McLaughlin. Because he's really into it, like really into like his personal brand, he's like made it with leather and it's got like gold flaked pages and he made it really fancy. So it costs like 40 or 80 bucks or something like that. But it is a really nice looking book. It's very concise. It's a very short read. Literally half the books are like, half the pages are padding and just there for notes. It's just yeah. stupid because they needed more pages because it's that short of a book. But yeah. honestly, it's probably some of the most concise, most well-articulated thoughts on marketing that I've ever read in my life. And he also has it because it's marketer, it's philosopher. It has more of that philosophical rigor and tone to it that I, really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Like I like C.S. Lewis as an author. So if you like C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. then this book... This is like the C.S. Lewis of marketing. Nice. He articulates marketing at a level that just like, it's not at a psychological level. It is at a philosophical level that helps you understand why the things we do in marketing matter and why they work mm-hmm. and helps you walk through how to reverse engineer um, a thought path that someone needs to take in order to go from not knowing you to trusting you to buying from you in a way that I think is best articulated. The other book I love is a book called um, Your Music and Your People. It's mm-hmm. written, it's it's also one of those books that it's so, like if you took out, you couldn't remove a single word from one page. It's oh. so well refined and articulated. It's a very short book. It's a little purple book. Um, it's written by Derek Sivers. And it's written for musicians oh. who are the people that are the most skeptical of things like marketing because that's the man. And that's not the art. That's the business taking advantage. It's written. It's it's almost like a book about marketing written for the biggest skeptics of all times mm. on marketing, and it is the most wonderful articulation of why marketing is good, why it's worthwhile, and why it's an extension of your art. For me, as a marketer, reading books like Marketer's Philosopher and Your Music and Your People. It gives it gives my profession dignity, but also reaches at the core essential root of what marketing is and why it's important. It helps what it's what gets me excited about what I do, and also gives me a way of thinking about it and approaching it that gives it weight and meaning, and even a guide on how to how to approach it appropriately so that it's it's helping people rather than hurting people. Wow! Yeah, I've never heard of those books before, so I'll definitely look into them. Um, talking about books, you recently wrote a children's book. I want to be a marketer when I grow up. What, what's the book about and what inspired you to write it? Well, 
the, how it started was less inspirational, but I had a friend who was selling marketing books <laughs> services for B2B marketers. And I was like one of his first clients. <laughs> and honestly, I, I loved the process of it so much that I did it. I'm working on a second book that I'm launching soon called How to Build an Audience. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why I started the marketing book was to kind of create a, a gift that I could give away to other marketers to build relationship to marketers. Because again, it's a relational game. Um, and I noticed like it's hard to explain marketing to children. Right. Like I've struggled with it multiple times. So I actually sat down with Timmy Bauer of Dinosaur House, who helped me produce this book. He's great. He's he's really good at making kids' books that kids love. So mm -hmm. he works with subject matter experts in different subjects and helps them create kids' books. And he has a process for unpacking your ideas and turning them into a way that's easy to consume for kids. What I also found is that these kids' books are actually remarkably helpful at helping adults understand hard concepts because you're breaking it down to its most essential essence. Right. So I wrote a marketing book for kids to help them understand and better utilize marketing from an early age. Um, and my kids love it. Other kids have loved it. Um, but it becomes again a tool for getting your name out there as a as a marketer and a creator. This next one is around how to build an audience. And I had two goals for it. One as a positioning goal for me, because I want to be known as the audience growth guy. So it's certainly that, right? Maybe that's the selfish motive. Sure. But also I know there's a market out there because Lego did a massive survey. Um, a couple of years ago and asked kids like, what do you want to be when you grow up? They mm -hmm. were looking for a reason to justify building a space Lego program, um, of which they found it. 10% of kids wanted to be an astronaut. What they also found in that research is that 30% of kids wanted to be YouTubers. Mm. And we all know the hardest part about starting any channel, YouTube, podcast, social media, TikTok, is building an audience. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to write a book that spoke to that need out there because there's not a lot of resources on it. Um, and I wanted to be kind of like one of the first ones to write a book targeting essentially elementary schoolers on how to build, build yeah. an audience. Smart, smart. Well, I got myself a copy of, I want to be a marketer when I grow up because I have a five-year-old um, and I'm still learning how to do the marketing game. So it'll be beneficial for the both of us. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll share it on social when it comes in. I ordered it yesterday. So I think it may come in today or tomorrow. Um, last questions. Uh, last question. How can people get in touch with you? Man, LinkedIn or on my website. So you can go to linkedin.com slash IN slash digital marketing Dan or find me at danches.com if you want to find links to all the socials and all the blog posts and the podcasts that we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Danches. I consider you a friend now. Thank you so much for being a part of it and uh, sharing your insights, man. It was awesome. Take care, my friend. Thanks, Chris.